Gladfield Malt is dedicated to producing fresh, consistent, and high-quality malt for New Zealand craft brewers and home brewers alike. Visit their website today to see their incredible range of unique and flavorful malts at gladfieldmalt.co.nz. That's gladfieldmalt.co.nz. All right, you are listening to episode number eight of the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. This is John Ojaka. Also on the line with me is Gary Henwood from Kainui Bruco. Gary, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, thank you, John. Wonderful, Gary. Uh, tonight, we are going to have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Childs from Behemoth Brewing Company. Uh, and Andrew was generous enough to share the recipe for their chur pale ale, their chur New Zealand pale ale. Uh, I'm really excited about that. And even more so, I'm excited to crack into a bottle of the stuff because both Gary and I have got one here. Um, before we do that, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first off, uh, if if you enjoy this podcast, do us a favor, head on over to iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast and leave us a rating and review, uh, especially those reviews. They really help. They uh, they not only help a little bit with the whole algorithm mumbo jumbo over there uh, in terms of the, the, the ratings, the rankings, um, of which we've been doing pretty well, uh, thanks to you guys, um, but they, uh, they also ha- help uh, attract new listeners. They tell folks that the podcast is worth listening to, so if you've got just a moment to spare do us a favor and head on over there and leave us a review and to those of you who have already done so i just want to want to thank you for doing that we we really appreciate it there have been a lot of kind words there and and that really means a lot so uh before we before we start rambling on gary shall we crack this thing i've already cracked mine john oh sorry way ahead of you bro way ahead of me you're always way ahead of me aren't you um see here so we are drinking again it is uh behemoth's chur new zealand pale ale it's behemoth ah i can't get that you're gonna hear me we're gonna you're gonna hear me say this in the interview but i don't know what it is i've I've been on this planet uh 43 years and somehow i thought it was behemoth all this time like a like a big man southern man from alabama or something um named behemoth but uh no it's behemoth and i can't I cannot correct my brain and say that correctly. Anyway, it's a five and a half percent sort of what would you call this? Kind of a it's kind of a dark golden, um, uh, mm. slight hazy. Yeah, there's I a slight haze to it. Uh, New Zealand pale ale. A nice, a nice haze that I'm familiar with and enjoy. I don't like, I don't trust beers that are clear. <laughs> yeah, I you know I I we've talked about this before, but I used to kind of like the clear beer thing, and I still do, certainly mm. with many styles. But if it's got hops in it, uh, uh, or you know if it's Belgian, basically, I kind of like it. I like a little cloudiness. I I don't know if it's all in my head or how much of it just has to do with the mouthfeel that those particles still floating around give it. But uh, I like yeah, I like the mouthfeel that seems to come along with that haziness and. Um, so while the haziness doesn't in itself, the simple fact that it's hazy doesn't give it that mouth feel when I see it, I, I anticipate it and I, you know, more Mm. often than not, I find it. And so they seem to go hand in hand, but 
this thing is, it's smelling really good to me. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting all that New Zealand hop character that one might expect, some citrus, um, some gooseberry that, uh, again, I don't want to give any spoilers uh, uh, away here too soon, but uh, uh, in terms of the recipe, but uh, that are likely coming from the Nelson Saab. Um, and more importantly, I'm impressed uh, impressed that this is, this is a f- fresh bottle. And I don't mean... I don't mean to say that I expect anything less from the brewery, but, um, you know, we're up here in Kerry Kerry and I got these bottles this afternoon at the new world here and no offense to our, the good people at our local new world, but, uh, you know, the beer, especially the hoppy stuff is usually not in that good of a shape. It sits around for quite a while and I just don't buy hoppy beer there because more often than not it tastes like cardboard, but this is actually, this is a kind of for new world, kind of shockingly good, um, sample. It's, it's a no paper, no cardboard, just a nice New Zealand pale ale. What do you what are you getting on yours? That's that's good to hear, John. I think I got one that was sitting in the storeroom a little bit warm for a while. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gutted considering you <laughs> Because but we um, check uh, they have the same guess, date on these bottles, but yeah, I guess anything can happen between the brewery and the um and the uh, Oh yeah, I mean I'm I don't know if they have cold storage for the well, I, I know that they're <clears throat> when I, kn- I knew the last um, liquor manager there, but the, the, these ones that are there now, I'm not too sure they they treat their craft beer quite as well. But um, yeah, it's certainly I'm not getting what you're getting. Right. Well, that's too bad. But um, I, I can yeah yeah, that's too bad. I'm gutted. But never mind. Well, um, I think this is a this is a good beer, and I I am not a hophead, as uh, many have heard me say, and as you know, Gary, and as is probably evident in my increasing amount of um, uh, sinus whatever that you're, I'm starting to hear coming out of my voice. <laughs> I, I I'm I not only don't care for hops, I think I might actually be mildly allergic to them because it seems like three out of five times I drink a hoppy beer within a few seconds I start my sinuses start filling up and I get all sniffly. Um, what the heck is that? I don't know, but yeah, I, I saw that with another guy that I had meeting the other night. Mike started getting all sniffly as well. Oh, did he? Weird. I, I didn't. Yeah. I missed that. Well, I don't remember what we're drinking, but yeah, quite odd. Hmm. Yeah. There is some thing that was quite interesting when I heard it and I, I'm sure I can't remember it, but there's something to do with, uh, yeah, different genetic predispositions to well hops and bitterness and um and uh yeah i can't remember enough of the details but it was something like and i guess this this pertains more to just bitterness in general than hops specifically but it was something like and i'm sure i'm getting something wrong here but scandinavians in particular had um uh a higher no it was in a it was in an interview i'd heard with um What's his name? I don't want to butcher the pronunciation, but from Cantillon, um, talking about sourness and bitterness and something about the genetic predispositions in, in different ethnic groups and something about Scandinavians, for example, having a higher tolerance to bitterness. Um, and one can imagine, and I don't know if the, the history or science backs this up, but one can imagine that this has to do with the fact that it was a you know a cold climate where they were probably um, not getting as many... Uh, sweet fruits and things like that. And so getting more perhaps bitter herbs for thousands of years and built up a higher tolerance to that. And funny enough, you have, you know, the stereotypical white bearded male who seems to be the, the, the highest, um, 
or make up the 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 uh, group uh, on a stereotypical level anyway um, uh, of hopheads. Does that make sense? Did that come out as English? Um, I think so. <laughs> I, I followed you just. Well, yeah, no, just, you know, if you were to, if you had to pin a uh, a genetic makeup on the average sort of IPA fan, and, and again, mm. you know, I'm getting, into, I'm, can you hear me sinking into like dangerous uh, uh, yes. territory here? Yes. Um, <laughs> Anytime you start bringing in racial. Yeah, but if you had to pin a, a racial stereotype on the average IPA drinker, it'd be that bearded white man. And apparently there might be some weird genetic uh, stuff behind that. Um, I, however, do not seem to carry that gene because I don't. I don't care for the bitter stuff. I like the sour, but not the bitter. I like my. You're a Jew. My yeah. Uh, ironically, I'm I'm like 23% Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you meant to go go. There, I don't know what but, that means. Uh, <laughs> uh, just a type of. In terms of your in terms of your hop love or not. Yeah. But. No, I don't know what that would mean either. But I don't think I don't think it plays into it. Good night, everybody. I was just trying to throw a racist yeah, comment out yeah. there. Try to, uh, try to uh, yeah, dig me out of this quicksand somehow with your own little uh, life preserver mm. of, of racism. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about beer, shall we? Um, so, yes. so Gary uh, from Kainui Brew Co. up here in Kiri mm-hmm. in the far north, what is going on in the brewery? Uh, I don't know, John. Not much. I'm counting on you here. We we got like a few minutes to spare before we go to commercial break. Come on. What's going on? It's exam week. It's exam week. I've got exams and I hate my life, but mm, sucks. But I did have 200 kegs sent up the other day and I've been, um, had a friend around. I just had a friend around, just invited him over for some, you know, just for some, you know, hangout time. And asked him to help me clean two hundred kegs. So, so you tricked, you tricked him. You told him, oh, "Come out, come hang, yeah. hang out." And then next thing you know, I he's... also I also paid him. So oh, okay. well, yeah, that that makes it better. Um, yeah. I I was at your house today, and I saw I saw that mountain of kegs. That's two hundred. That's what two hundred kegs looks like. Is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of kegs, isn't it? And you have to manhandle those. I don't know how many times. Just the handling of kegs when you're brewing beer is. Enough to want to make you be, become a contract brewer, I think. <laughs> no keg washer, so or or no keg washing machine. <laughs> yeah, so you're doing this. This is all hand. manual washing. Nice. <laughs> Fine. I don't have a keg washer yet, but I think that's probably first on the list right now. <laughs> and this takes you how long to wash two hundred kegs? Uh, we got our system down to about uh, for the manual filling about twenty per hour, which is I thought I was pretty happy with. Yeah, that's, um, that's actually not too bad. So it was, it was pretty good, but. It started off, you know, slower, and yeah, we once we got into a system, it was twenty per hour. That was with one person, so with two people, it'd be, you know, you could pick that up as well. So, pretty happy with that. All right. I suppose a more important question is, uh, what is all this beer that is going into two hundred kegs? So two hundred kegs times fifty liters—that's ten thousand liters. Is that right? Did I get that horribly wrong? That's that's some no, that's some good maths, quick maths. Nice, nice. Um. That is, I've spoken about a few times, we're having concerts over the summer. Um, so if you're up north, you need to come and check it out. You need to buy tickets to Fat Freddy's Drop or Solomia and Victoria. And we are supplying all the beer for that this time around. We, in the past, we have um, got beer from other bigger breweries that have supplied us. So, but this, this year, we're supplying our own beer. And that's what I need to do. I need to put it all into a keg so that I can 
run it through a tap and give it to the good people that come along to our concert. And I know you've been brewing a lot of stuff. What exactly is uh, going into these? What, what kinds of beers are you brewing for this event? Um, I want to keep the alcohol level lowish, but um, kind of gold predominantly. That's to replace, um, you know, just, it's just a lager to keep people happy because a Hellas. we're in North and it's, it's the Munich Hellas, yes. But I won a silver medal for uh, John in my very first match oh, at the Brewers Guild Awards. I know. <laughs> but um, so, so that's a Munich Hellas and it's, to keep the people happy that, you know, don't like craft beer, basically. Um, but also keep the people who do like craft beer happy, too, because it's a Munich Hellas and it's not just a generic lager. Um, and also a few other things. I probably have a, a low, like a session IPA, uh, maybe a dark beer porter and Saison. And then the Postman Pilsner will be there, too. Nice. Well, and if anyone uh, you know is up here during the holidays, which are coming up, but unable to make that event, you've got the tasting room there at the vineyard, correct? That's an, an... which, yeah, we're just about to open um, an on license, so we've we've gone for our first check with the licensing. Um, we failed on a few things; those are being rectified right now, and we hope to be what are we now, twenty second or something of November. So early December, we should have a an on license there, and you can come in. And, um, you know, taste our beers, sit around, have a drink, have a tasting platter, or worst comes to worst, worst case scenario, we will still have just an off license running and you can, you know, buy a beer there and, and taste it. And they, did you correct that ridiculous oversight and get the actual address and phone number up on your website? Uh, uh, for the tasting room, because I know you got a scolding from yours truly when I tried to go and find that address and could not find it. Uh, did I say it was exam week? I, can't mm. remember if I, uh, I think I told you like a couple <laughs> months ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Get the address up there. People you. might want to come and try your beer. Sorry, John. Yeah, that's all right. Um, anyway uh, well very cool Uh, check that out check out Gary's Beer for sure if you're up here uh, over the holidays up here in Kiri Kiri that is in the far north Um, and go to the tasting room and if you you happen to be around in January check out their their big concert there uh, with Fat Fiddy's Drop um, at the very same vineyard um, I think, you know, I've got to be honest, like I'm going to get through this whole beer. I'm, I've only got a couple of inches left and that's, a, that's a rarity for me with a hoppy beer. You know, um, I'll, uh, I'll usually pour, pour a good chunk of it down the sink. Not, you know, if it's not, if it's a beautiful hoppy beer, but I don't, I don't get too many of them to be honest. Um, <clears throat> this is a disappointment. I mean, we, <clears throat> we're not, um, afforded the luxury of having a fast turnover where we are, um, it is quite a, a problem with hobby beers that we get in New World because, you know, the turnover is quite slow and um, they don't treat them all that well. I think, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's my suspicion anyway. So it, it is um, a bit of a problem up here, and, and you're, you're dead right. Um, so good, good one, John. Yeah, I'm I d- glad you got that bottle. <laughs> I just did you just censor yourself there? I heard the k come out and then and then <laughs> sound just dropped completely. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> well done. Well, uh let's do it, eh? Uh let's uh just jump on into the interview. We'll take a little break here and then we'll hear from Andrew Childs, uh get the the history of the brewery or brewing company and uh hear hear about the beer that they make and uh, then of course we'll get the recipe uh, to their uh, New Zealand Pale Ale, their Chur New Zealand Pale Ale, 
And after that, we'll take a couple of questions. If any questions come in, uh, I went and posted that a little bit late. Uh, I posted questions just as we, well, I'm supposed to post the questions in the morning of the day we record, but I usually get to it about uh, an an hour or two. And this time I got to it about five minutes before we started recording. So we'll see what's come in. Um, uh, But uh, that's that's an open invitation, by the way, to anyone who enjoys this podcast. If you ever... uh, do have a question for the podcast, you can just shoot it on over to us via Facebook. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash New Zealand Brewer and send us a message. Just make a mention that you'd like us to answer it in the podcast and we will do that. Um, all right, Gary, uh, back in a bit, eh? Sounds good. You're listening to the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. Whether you're a home brewer or pro brewer, if your goal is to make delicious beer using top quality New Zealand grown ingredients, then Gladfield Malt is the maltster for you. Gladfield Malt is a family owned and operated malting company located in Canterbury, New Zealand, where the Michael family has been growing barley for five generations. They now produce over 29 types of malt, including several world firsts, such as their very own Toffee, Shepherd's Delight, and Supernova Malt. Whether your goal is to brew a crisp New Zealand Pilsner or a rich and decadent Imperial Stout, Gladfield Malt has the perfect malt for your brew. And if you're looking to brew a classic recipe using only Gladfield's award-winning ingredients, you can download their free recipe conversion app, which is available for both iOS and Android devices. Gladfield Craft Malts are perfect for the New Zealand brewer who is looking for quality flavors, consistency, and traceability in their malts, which they back up with some of the best customer service in the industry. You can get to know their malts and find out more about their recipe conversion app at gladfieldmalt.co.nz that's gladfieldmalt.co.nz the shout.co.nz is the home of new zealand liquor news with daily updates featuring the latest and greatest news announcements and views for the new zealand liquor trade industry the shout.co.nz has everything you need to keep up with happenings in on-premise and off-premise information beer, wine and spirit news and everything in between. You can register for our weekly e-newsletter at shout.co.nz. That's the shout.co.nz. All right, we are on the line with Andrew Childs from Behemoth Brewing Company. Uh, How's it going, Andrew? Thanks for being here. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. You know, it's a, f- a funny and re- retarded thing. I, I, for, for whatever reason, the word behemoth was, it's been in my head all these years as bohemoth. And then I've, you know, in, in looking at, oh, your brewery, yeah, it gets, it gets, uh, you know, it, it, people spell it, um, wrong all the time, even some, you know, supermarkets and stuff like that. So always <laughs> right. fun. As I said, as I was doing the prep for this and just making notes and things like that, I just kept having, you know, spell check blurping up uh, on me, telling me I had it wrong. And now, now I have to actually concentrate to say, uh, throw a little eh in there and say behemoth instead of yeah. bohemoth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, good time. So, um, let's, let's, before we, you know, we're going to talk about your past and the beers you make and all that stuff. But just for anyone who's not familiar with the brewery, tell us just the stats, the basics, where you're located, what kind of operation you are, uh, 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 what kind of capacity, you know, these kind of things. Give people a sense of the brewery. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're based in Auckland. Um, I'm Wellington, uh, born and bred, moved to Auckland about five years ago, um, and we have contract brewed uh, around the country and probably in about um, eight, eight breweries 
um, in the last four and a half years. Cool. Uh, we we we've yeah we've kind of we're here there and everywhere and um, just kind of changed with what suited us and um, yeah so uh, we've been here there and everywhere um, but we really have um, uh, just decided to brew um, where uh, the beer tastes really great and where we have a good relationship with those breweries. Um, so it's, it's, it's worked really well for us. Uh, we've, at, at the moment, we're brewing, uh, a B Studio, which is brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike's Garage Project and Moore and a few other guys are brewing there as well. Um, amazing capacity. Um, are they the one down in Hawks Bay? Our, down in the Hawks Bay, yeah. yeah so yeah. yesterday I was, I flew in in the morning and, um, we did three batches of beer and then uh, flew back in the evening. Um, it's, yeah, I, I try to be as hands on as, as possible with it because, um, the buck stops with me. The beer tastes sure. different hot. It's, uh, it's, uh, it all comes down to, to, to working with good people, but they're making sure that, um, I'm very much, they're making sure it's going very particular way that we like to brew. Um, we do our small batch stuff at Deep Creek, um, up here in Auckland, uh, Silverdale. Um, and that's really fun. We get to experiment with a bit more. Smaller batch stuff, um, limited release cans and kegs, uh, and that's been we've had a really fun year this year with uh, with the new cans and stuff that we've been bringing out. Um, in fact, I think we've had two new cans come out in the last three weeks, um, so it's been a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we've we've brewed, but we are in the midst of um, building a brew pub in Auckland, um, and by in the midst of brewing it, I mean signing off on a final location. We've been looking for a location for about seven months. Very cool. Uh, and we've got offers on a couple of places at the moment, um, but uh, we're not counting our chickens on locations because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a trying seven months trying to trying to find something. So we are still planning to contract brew um, a bunch of our beer that um, is going to be in bottles and stuff, and then we'll, uh, we'll probably can a small amount of stuff ourselves, but we really want to have a place where we can do really small batch stuff um, and probably sell most of it over the bar. Um, cool. So you are going to brew um, on location at the brew pub. We are going to brew on location. Nice. It's probably going to be a small 1200 liter kit. Um, we'll probably double brew most things. Um, so we can still sell to our customers around the country and mainly kegs. Uh, but yeah, then everything else will probably be working with these studios and into the stuff that right. the bottles and stuff is into. It's and the six packs that we have coming out next week might, might even be out already by the time people listen to this. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's some exciting stuff happening now. I think we've done, yeah, so Behemoth, we've done probably 80 something beers over the last four and a half years. Wow. Um, I was going to ask you how old the brewery or the brewing company was, you're four and a half years? Yeah, four and a half years old. So yeah, I think we were, um, June 2004, uh, 2013, um, is when we released our first beer. Um, and that was the Celia Wave Brown Ale, um, which kind of like I'll probably touch on more in a backstory type of thing. I think right. it's uh, yeah, Coffee Brown Ale, named after the Mayor of Wellington. Um, but yeah, we've had a we've had a pretty interesting run of things over the last four and a half years, and things have kind of just come together um, from being a one man band working with different breweries in the country to there's six of us now employed for Behemoth, and I think we'll probably they'll probably go up to eight. Over the next few months, yeah, it seems um, like you guys have yeah. really exploded recently. I, I know you're in the New Worlds up here in Northland, and I always uh, I'm in Kerry Kerry, and I always take that. There's a bit of a uh, the New World up this far north is a bit of a, a thermometer in the sense that if you or barometer in the sense that if you're making it up here, you've got good coverage, you know, because not many people do. Yeah, it's I mean Northland's always interesting. I mean I'm going to go up there um, around Christmas New Year's time. I love going up north. Um, 
but yeah, it, it is it is you know pretty far, you know pretty hard to get up those kind of distances. But we have just had um, centralised distribution with foodstuffs, meaning that we can we're in uh, half to two thirds of the new worlds and stuff around new worlds and packet saves, mainly new worlds around the country and. That was kind of part of winning the New World Beer Awards, so Triple Chocolate Milk Stout won gold at the New World Beer Awards, and that really gave us a good foot in the door to get into a lot of New Worlds. Got it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we've always had really great coverage in like Wellington, because my little brother, Cameron, um, is a, a, a BSA rock star down there. Um, so we've been in pretty much every New World in the greater Wellington region for a good two, two and a half, three years now. Um, but the rest of the country, we're starting to catch up. Gotcha. The main thing is that we, if people like our beer, we want to make it as easy as possible for people to get it. And it's a bit, it's not very nice. It's just like, well, no, we don't sell to your part of the country if you enjoy our beer. So we're just working really hard to make sure everyone who wants to drink it's able to relatively easily. Very cool. And you mentioned, I heard heard you mention Wellington a couple of times um, in the backstory. Were you, did you come up to Auckland from Wellington or have you always been in Auckland? No, so I was born and bred in Wellington, Miramar, um, near, pretty much down the road from Wellington Airport, where I grew up. And, uh, yeah, moved to, uh, I mean, yeah, went for Wellington listeners, I went to Miramar South School, across the road from the airport, Evans Bay Intermediate School, and Rongatai College, which is just down the way. It's actually around the corner where the Parrot Dog is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, uh, but, you know, I used to be a lawyer. Um, oh, wow. Uh, so I went to law school, went to, went to Victoria University, did law and business there. Uh, finish off my last half year in Sweden on exchange, um, which was good times. And uh, they've got um, they've got a saying in Sweden say, uh, saying you in diploga you bought a festa, which means I did not study only party. So I kind of <laughs> went over there as a last hurrah. Um, and a, and we've just released a beer called Seas Get Degrees and um, using all American sea hops and mm-hmm. Cascade, Centennial, um, Columbus, and a little bit of Citra to cheat a little bit there. Uh, but in Sweden, it was a pass. Uh, there was no such thing as grades when you transferred your grades back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So literally, you would not get any more recognition for getting an A plus than you would for getting a C. So we partied a lot and right. um, travelled a lot around Europe, and uh, we passed, and and that's all we really cared about. So good, yeah, good times. Cool. Um, came back and um, yeah, started working in. Uh, got got pretty much needed a job and had no money and you know travel debt and all that stuff. So started doing legal policy for. IRD and then subsequently ACC, um, and it bores the jeeps out of me. And, uh, <laughs> what I started brewing. A, what a way to uh, disappoint your parents, though. <laughs> you go to law school, go through all that. Yeah, I, I think especially my mum's like, you're giving up a, a half decent paying job to. Well, so the, the next part of the story is um, I, I started home brewing. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you just, how, how you got We're into just it. launching up. Yeah, well, um, I. I started homebrewing um, at the behest of my best mate, um, Paul Harrison. Uh, we were in the wire app for New Year's, and we did this really weird thing um, where, well, I did a weird thing saying, why don't all of you come up with a New Year's resolution for me, which is always dangerous after people have been drinking on New Year's Eve. Right. Um, and a bunch of them, um, some weird things like, uh, you should read the Quran. And I was like, I, I, I downloaded a PDF for that, and it was a bit too long for me. Right. Uh, but my... There's no Paul. He said, "Well, you've always wanted a homebrew. Why don't you do that?" I'm like, "Oh, that's a great resolution." So um, a couple of weeks later, we gave it a crack on my stovetop. Um, we did a beer called um, "Learn to Fly Pale Ale." Uh, at the time, all my beers were going to be named after Foo Fighter songs. <laughs> um, that never really eventuated, um, but we are seeing uh, are seeing Foo Fighters uh, the next gig, and I think we're doing pre-drinks at Epic, so that should be fun. Nice. Um, yeah. So. Uh, 
yeah, so I got into it, just started home brewing, and I really got the bug really quickly, uh, and then got into all grain brewing. We started off with a little extract kit and chucking some hops in, and then got into all grain brewing at a converted chili bin uh, mash time, and yeah, just went went hammer and tongs, uh, and then uh, after a while, I was just like, well, I, I, I remember, I'll always remember this one point in time, I saw a co-worker of mine at ACC, uh, and you know, we were working on, you know, um, changing legislation and all that kind of stuff, and I, I really didn't enjoy it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I needed the money back then, sure. and then uh, I just saw someone who was doing exactly the same job as me and not getting paid a massive amount more, probably, uh, probably a decent amount more. Uh, and I was just like, kind of closed my eyes, like, is this what I'm going to be doing in ten years' time? And in that very moment, I said, no, screw it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Uh, do whatever I can to, to follow my dream and then start making beer. And so I quit my job, um, got a job at Fork and Brewer, which had just opened up in Wellington at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was about just about to open. Uh, literally the last day I had at ACC uh, was the opening party, Fork and Brewer, and I didn't have to work that one, so I went and got pretty drunk. And um, <laughs> good introduction uh, to, to, to working there the following uh-huh. week. Um, yeah, so uh, they were you know, they're going to be brew pub, and I was like, well, I would love to you know work one day a week at the brewery, and then I'll be behind the bar the rest of the time because um, I already had a brewer on board, and and uh, they took a year to get their brewery up and running because it was on the second floor, uh, second um, story, never built a brewery on um, off the ground floor. It's never a great idea. Someone in Auckland's just done it recently, and they've had all sorts of issues. Right. Um, and yeah, so we behind the bar and I was like, well, after nine months, I was like, well, let's, this is, I can't do this anymore because, um, I didn't even, wasn't making enough money to, to satisfy my, my homebrew interests. So, sure. um, I left there and became a travel agent for a couple of months, but right when I left then I won Wellington in a pint, which is a big competition they had, um, with homebrewers to get paired up with commercial brewers. So I think it was about 120 beers entered and I had entered 16 or 17 and I'd, I'd entered like 8% of the beers in the whole competition <laughs> right. so I very much had carpet bombed it Yeah. Um, but 4 of those beers made into like the top 16 and 2 made into the top 8 uh, and then Sealy Ray Brown Ale the Coffee Brown Ale was um, brewed with Yeasty Boys which was a massive thing for me because I was a, a huge fan of yeah, uh, sure. Yeasty Boys and you know, still am and um, yeah we got to brew this beer together um, subsequently they've gone on to, to brew millions of tea beers <laughs> <laughs> and that's their biggest seller now as a tea beer after brewing a coffee beer with us. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, got released into a mixed four pack uh, around Wellington. Uh, and we were on bus shelter banners and billboards because it was sponsored by BBDO Clemenges, who is a giant advertising company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that kind of, I was like, wow. And uh, right at that moment, I think I found, I think I found out I won the day before I started Flight Center. Uh-huh. as a travel agent after leaving Talk and Brewer. And the reason I didn't go back to the or anything, I was like, okay, I just want to do something. I like travel. I can sell things, I think. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that Flight Center was the, the worst job. I just really didn't like it at all. It <laughs> right. was horrible. Um, but the night beforehand, I'd got no sleep because I was thinking about my future, what I'm going to do because I've just won this giant beer competition. And I was like, why the hell am I starting training as a, a tra- travel agent tomorrow? Right. Right. Um but kind of went through that and I kind of really, so I kind of had no shot at that either because the day beforehand I already realized I didn't want to be there. But I was there for a few months. Um, and, uh, but while there, I, one of my coworkers actually, a different store, his uncle, um, I make, um, who had Mango Jacks, 
grandfather for the biggest homebrew wholesale company probably in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, they're, they're sp- sponsors of the show. Oh, great. Your uh, your phone's gone a little weird on us there. You've you've gone into a tin can. Oh, am I out of the tin can? Yeah, you are out of the tin can. <laughs> Proceed. Okay. Gosh, that maybe the old phone's not great. Um so yeah, I worked um I yeah, I I met um Dan and I met Peter came down because we'd been talking about this new machinery he was coming out for brewing. And I was like, Okay, cool. And he's like, Oh, we want someone to test it out. All right, that sounds great. And came down and interviewed me. I'd already quit Flight Center without any backup at that point because I just hated the job so much. Right. Um, and he came down and said, like, we want someone to do this, this, and this, and moved to Auckland. Um, and I was like, well, okay, I'd never really wanted to move to Auckland as most Wellingtonians don't like Auckland. Um, and, yeah, he's just like, well, we want someone to do uh, work with breweries and um, do product development for this and that, uh, for, for the, what's now the grandfather and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff and a, a lot of other brewing related roles and the title was the beer man and so I moved up to Auckland and did that and, but I did tell him at the time saying I'm going to start my own brewing company in my spare time if I, if I move up there and mm-hmm. like, okay that's cool um, and so yeah we I went around I traveled so I, I, so I moved to Auckland um, very quickly um, and started uh, brewing with a bunch of breweries around New Zealand because we were doing fresh wort packs at the time. So, yeah, sure. fresh unfermented beer packs um, with some great breweries. We started working with Deep Creek, Hellertau, uh Twisted Hop, uh, Mike's, uh, Mike's Brewery. Um, Eight Wide, we actually did a, a, um, a fresh wort pack of Hop Wide, which mm-hmm. was pretty awesome because that was probably my favorite beer at the time. Mm. Um and that was pretty awesome. People were able to brew their own hot wide. Um, and uh, that has kind of subsequently led us to brew with 8 wide for quite a long time. We've only really stopped brewing with 8 wide in the last few months. Uh, but we've been brewing with them for the last couple of years and making some great beer. Um, and then, yeah, in my spare time, I, after being an iMate for about oh, three months, six months, um, uh, probably six months, because um, it's after we did the fresh work packs with... Um, Martin at Twisted Hop, and we did a black hop hole. It was a big black IPA. It was beast of a beer, that one. Um, and he was like, well, you want to start your own thing? Well, you can contract brew here in Twisted Hop in Christchurch. So I was a Wellingtonian living in Auckland, brewing our beer in Christchurch. So it was a bit, a bit all over the country, really. And and just so I'm I'm on track, where at this point where you're you're still working for iMake and you're yep. brewing, you're helping yep. put together the fresh wort packs for that company to then be resold. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we would, yeah, we were doing we were doing that at the time, traveling around the country. We were doing one every couple of months, I think it was. Um, might might have even been a bit more frequent than that once we got off the ground. Um, we, they stopped doing it after a while because the logistics of shipping liquid in a giant bladder or a thing around the country was um, problematic, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are doing it now, and I think the concept's really good. Uh, it just needs to be executed in a way probably best at homebrew stores and stuff like that where you can go and pick them up um, yeah, and then just tip in yeast and then make sure you're fermenting at the right temperature with the right sanitation and yeah. What's the appeal to uh, of those out of curiosity? Because I've never used one, and they've never really appealed to me. Because I like the recipe creation process, and I like creating Absolutely. something that came from my brain. Is it kind of economics? You get to have this beer that uh, you think is wonderful, and a whole lot of it for a lot less than it would cost. You know, buying it by the five hundred mobile. I think it, it would appeal to extract brewers right. um, because you don't have to have the equipment to do an all grain. You can have an all grain quality beer without 
having to own the equipment. Sure, sure. Uh, and also you get to have that connection of buying beer that is from a brewery that you might enjoy drinking from already, yeah, and then yeah. you get to have beer that they've made but you're fermented, so it's kind of like a, a joint venture between you because they've Got made it. the work and you've made, hopefully made sure that the beer's fermented correctly and tasting great. Um, so that was, yeah, that's the appeal. I, yeah, I think there's definitely a time, a time and a place for it. Um, I don't know if we're going to do um, offer that service when we have the brew pub or not, but they could be quite fun. Um, yeah. brewers in there and, and kind of, you know, splitting a, splitting some words out between them. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I was doing that and then we, we, yeah, we started Behemoth, um, and in a spare time, in my spare time and then, um, yeah, yeah, what we, caused you to make that final jump? So you're you're working for iMake, and you had wanted to do it. I'd always been wanting to do it. I think it was just Martin going, "Hey, do you want to do it now, um, or you know, in a month or something?" And I was like, "Well, this is always what I wanted to do. This is kind of the reason I moved. You know, stopped being a lawyer and moved to Auckland was to work for iMake, but also with an eye to to starting my own thing um, at some point. And I just like, well, I saved up a, a few thousand dollars to do my third batch. Um, that is one of the joys of contract brewing for good yeah. and bad is like you don't have to have your own stainless, you don't have to invest it probably hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to start something up. Sure. And yeah, so I'd, I mean, I I already had um, uh, kind of like what I wanted the brand of Behemoth to be. Um, we hadn't come up with what what my uh, character Chili or anything yet. Um, it was just. Uh, lock headers of Behemoth Brewing, uh, which, uh, made of mine in Christchurch, um, came up with, uh, and came up with the font and stuff. And mm-hmm. We soon changed that. Um, but yeah, we, we, we went through, we did Celia Way Brown Ale at Twisted Hop, uh, and just because I was like, well, this is the beer that I'm Wellington I'm known for, right. um, personally. Well, let's recreate that and put it on tap. And was that the one, was that the one that, uh, was in the Yeasty Boys competition? Sorry. Or a different? Yeah. Beer? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, you, yeah, that was the same one. So we, um, I asked Yeasty Boys and they said, I said, well, technically you guys half have the right to this beer if you want it. And, uh, Stu McKinley from Yeasty Boys like, nah, man, it's all yours. Um, I also got, uh, permission from Celia Wade Brown, the, the mayor of Wellington, who I've met a few times by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and she subsequently told me it was the best advertisement she ever had was naming, having a beer named after her, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which is nice. Sure. Really, really nice lady. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we decided to roll with that, and um, yeah, we launched around the country and kind of travelled around, and, and pretty much have been doing it ever since. But um, yeah, so we did a few small batch things. We did a, a beer called uh, Iron Harvest Saison, which was a five and a half percent, much weaker hopped saison. Um, just because I'm, if, if people are out there don't know. Um, Saisons aren't popular at all. Um, trying to make a Saison commercially viable is, is very, very hard in the end. What is that right? I, I see so many people producing them these days. I w- yeah, I wouldn't have known that they were hard to sell. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's not. There's only a handful of like ones that people produce in any quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, but all brewers love, 99% of brewers love Saisons. It's very much a brewer's beer. Um, and... Yeah, at the time I was like, oh man, I just would love to produce all the songs and stuff. And, you know, um, I, I can guarantee you we would have six staff and, and, and doing what we're doing now. We're just producing songs. But I do like to make them every once in a while. Um, and the brew pub, I think we'll probably focus on that a bit more because we've got a captive audience and we can kind of educate people on Belgian style beers and stuff. Um, yes, we did that. Um, I love that beer. Um, we also carbonated the kegs. Um, 
so we had a lot of angry bars because we um, they weren't pouring amazingly, right. um, which sucked. Sorry to Will, um, like Will at um, Broken Vagabond, we, we made their life hell for a day when we launched that beer. <laughs> um, and also, I think I think they were delivered late as well, so it was kind of the comedy of the Um If you talk to anyone in the brewing industry, they'll they'll tell you that most a good chunk of their time is spent with freight companies and logistics and yelling at sure, them. Sure. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's one of the uh, definitely New Zealand uh, doesn't lead itself to, to convenient freight with some um, two islands and uh, rock roads and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, that's what we that was our first two years. We did a third beer called Opportunity Cost. Um, just because uh, it was probably the start of the puns, the millions of puns that we've come up with in the last four, four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just American IPA. Um, it, from, from retrospect, I don't, I don't think it was amazing. Um, but, uh, and yeah, it, it just didn't turn out how we wanted it to, but uh, we've definitely learned um, since then, like how we, how we like to make our IPAs. Um, and then I think that was the last one we did at Twisted Hop, and then we, Went to um, uh, Joe Wood from Liberty, but he was uh, Liberty Halatau, the beer fountain. They both produced their beers at the same place in Riverhead at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew we wanted to do our first New Zealand Pale Ale, um, which is Chur, and um, we called it Chur because I was I was thinking I was like, well, that's probably the most New Zealand word I can think of, and what to call a New Zealand Pale Ale. Sure. Um, now I've probably said chur more than anyone on earth. <laughs> so we say it 25 times a day. Um, and that's our signature beer now. Um, and someone actually came up with that phrase at a beer festival and I was like, I'm probably going to say that a million times now and I have proceeded to do that. Um, yeah, New Zealand Hopped, uh, Pale Ale, um, uh, New Zealand Cascade, Rewaka, Nelson Sovin. Um, I think we're going to have a link to the recipe for that uh, on this podcast. Yeah, and yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so um, we uh, going back to um, I make. Uh, we I think after we after I left, or just after I left I make, or I think I might have still been there. No, I would have just left at the time. And now they sell um, grain kits of chur, and with their grain father, uh, you have the option to, to get a, a chur New Zealand Pale Ale grain kit to go with it, which is cool. Um, and kind of yeah, it's just nice to to, to to people to be able to attempt to to brew what you're brewing and and then comparing it against the beer that we sell and yeah, hopefully hopefully they get it it's pretty close. Um and yeah, so we we brewed uh Chur at um Liberty Hellasel the beer fountain as they called it, uh, in three thirty mil bottles and that was our first bottle. Yeah, and it's always exciting to see your first thing. I mean it's great having a beer on tap, but it's kind of a, something special I think for the first time having your beer in bottle. Yeah. Um and yeah, we started getting that around the country in three thirty mil bottles, and I think after that we proceeded to go into five hundred mil bottles, and that's what we've done ever since. Um, and we, yeah, that's where truly our mascot. Um, anyone who's drunk our beer has been the last, well, probably since we were six months old. Uh, we've had a little grey monster uh, with very sharp teeth and funny ears and yeah, describe, weird eyes. describe that. Describe um, the brand. Tell everyone a little bit about that. So, yeah, Churley, Churley, we called him Churley because, um, first of all, so we had a, um, a designer in Wellington who came up with that brand, um, that image. Uh, we, they, they said, well, we, we want, you know, how about this for Behemoth? It's fun. It's kind of not taking things too seriously. 
uh, and that's kind of kind of me to a T usually. Um, and then I was like, well, I don't know. I think we want to do something random for for every label, kind of you know, garage project esque. Um, and they'd been going a couple of years by that time, or maybe a year and a half. And I was like, oh, but I he was doing a thumbs up, and I was like, but he's doing a thumbs up, and that'd be great for Chur. And so we did that. Chur Pale Ale was what is now Churley on on the thing, just giving a thumbs up, mm-hmm. uh, a green background and some hops and malts around it, and Chur with an exclamation point and NZ Pale Ale. Um, we soon. We, yeah, so we we didn't even call him Julie at that point. We he didn't even have a name. That uh, was just not a thing. And uh, but then we were like, um, Joe, to pretty much goes, well, are you gonna do your next brew? Are you gonna brew that again? I was like, uh, you know, we haven't we we haven't sold enough of it to really brew it again. Like, we, I was like, oh, I'd love to do an American pale ale as well. And then I was like, no. And I've always wanted to do a beer called Murica because I just really love taking the piss. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And taking the piss out of Americans <laughs> is kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, <laughs> oh, it is. It is the last uh, the last year or so for sure. Well, it's yet yeah, even more so in the last year or so. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, my wife's American as well. I don't know how many times she's uh, heard me say um, that phrase um, about the fish in the uh, fish in a barrel. But it is you know, it's, there's still a lot of cheap shots that are easy to make. <laughs> um, so Murica, we just decided to have the same monster dressed up in very stereotypical American wear. So he had a wife beater with I Heart APA, um, kind of we we're going for white trash kind of redneck yeah. type of thing. Uh, he had an American flag, but it had hops instead of stars on the back, which is still the case, uh, and an M16. Um, we subsequently very recently changed it from an M16 to a banjo. Um, we haven't actually had really had any complaints about it, but we thought we're exporting a lot more now, and we're likely to run into trouble with firearms on beer, so we, we've decided uh, to make it a banjo, and I think it's just as funny with a banjo as an M16 sure. and slightly less controversial. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so... And the whole back of it was written in, and we've kind of changed it over over the last few years. But we, it was all written in American, like uh, got a hankering for hops and freedom, yeah. and, and the tagline for the beer is it tastes like freedom and loose gun laws. And if, we've got T-shirts if you don't love hops, the terrorists win. Some people will take yeah. offense to that, but it was very much of like the Stephen Colbert esque taking the piss, um, hardcore right, so hardcore right wing that it's you know, sure. funny for sure. Um, so yeah, it's the whole thing's satirical, very satirical. So I mean, I wait, I watch way too much Daily Show and last week tonight and Copier Report at the time, and I guess it's a <laughs> right. show now. I'm surprised um, there's not more and, more beers out there fighting for that that trademark um, America that seems like a, a slam dunk of a name. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just become so normal. It's, it's it's just our normal. We've been selling it for bring it for four coming up to pretty close to four years now. Um, and it's just kind of stock standard yeah. now, but we've just, we've literally just sent our first container to America last week. Oh, nice. Um, so that was a mixed batch of Murica, impeachment sour ale, uh, triple chocolate milk stout and soap and slayer. So two out of the four of them we're sending to America are American themed going to America, which I, I find that we're brewing a New Ze- an American pale ale in New Zealand and sending it to America funny. Yeah. I was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty The impeachment pretty well. sour ale, which isn't, yeah, the impeachment sour ale, obviously, there's a yeah. story behind that. But, um, yeah, so that's, 
don't know. Where did we, where did we get to there? So I had, I'm going going all over the place. Which well, yeah. I, I, if I if um, I can cut you off, I have questions. I want to at some mm. point kind of back up and talk a little bit just about some of your attitudes towards brewing and and how the whole contracting yeah. thing works. But before we do that, um, because we're mm-hmm. dropping so many sort of uh, info bombs on people about the different beers, let's just kind of condense that. And while you've made. 80 beers, we, we can't cover them all today. Why don't you just lay out what your core range is so people get a sense of the kind yeah, of brewery sure. that you are. And obviously, you've talked about America, and you've talked about, um, it's called Chur, right? The the Pale Ale. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, you mentioned impeachment. Is impeachment part of your core range? So, yeah, give people a sense of, of what no, your No, it's kind of more about. of a permanent seasonal. Got it. <laughs> Got it. If, if that makes any sense. Until um, the next election, at so- least. So... Yeah, at the moment it is. So I've made kind of uh, deals with people about what we're going to do with that beer. But I'll go through a core range. So Chur New Zealand Pale Ale, uh, and their 500 mil bottle core range is uh, Chur New Zealand Pale Ale, uh, New Zealand Hot Pale Ale, um, very much on like the hoppier, more aromatic side, the most New Zealand Pale Ales we feel. We kind of done the same thing with Mirica, and that's 5.5%. Uh, Mirica APA, Mirica Pale Ale, um, that uses Simcoe, uh, Centennial, and Amarillo. Uh, and that, yeah, 6% American Pale Ale. Uh, and then our, our full-time core range IPA is 6 foot 5 IPA, uh, which is blatantly just named after my height, and it's 6.5% alcohol and 65 IBU, so like a good theme on that. Yeah. And that's truly dressed up as a basketball player, and the kind of a joke is that not all tall play, people play basketball, because, <laughs> right. you know, I'm 6 foot 5, and people are like, do you play basketball? I'm like, no, I just, I would, but I have, you know, a lack of talent, desire, ability, <laughs> all those things. Yeah, I'm six um, foot four. We're in the same same boat there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And oh, how's the weather up there? I probably should have just called it "How's the weather up there?" IPA, but it's a bit long. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so that's American and New Zealand hops. So that's uh, Mosaic, Citra, Nelson Sovin, uh, and Centennial actually. Uh, so most mostly American, but a bit of New Zealand hops thrown in there to just to kind of mix it up to that kind of tropical, gooseberry citrus kind of flavors going on and yeah that, that's actually uh, the printing on that you pick it up and it actually feels like a basketball it's actually textured like picking up a, a real basketball so oh, it's, nice. it's kind of fun yeah um and then triple chocolate milk stuff is um our full-time dark beer and that one's best beer in the last year 2015 um out of 450 beers which we're pretty stoked at and uh yeah one we were better gold medal and I think on Untapped, it's the highest rated dark beer in New Zealand now, which... Oh, yeah, very nice. Um, yeah, so that's there for full-time um, core beers. Uh, and then next week, we're releasing six-packs. Um, hopefully, uh, by the time this goes to year, they should be hit, starting to hit shelves. Um, we are leaving it a little bit late in the year to get everything out, but we're doing Hopped Up on Pills, our Hoppy Pilsner, which we've had in rip, both Ripley cans, um, which I'm sure I'll touch on soon. And 500 ml bottles, but that's coming out in six pack bottles. Um, and something hoppy IPA, so 5%, 5.9% IPA, um, which we have, uh, it's pretty much brand new. We've kind of done a limited kick series of it before, but that's going to be our full time six pack IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uses Citra, Eldorado, and Azaka hops. So a couple of those are pretty new American hops that not too many people in New Zealand have played around with. Um, and yeah, very tropical, very, um, uh, ripe fruit characters and stuff like that. So we're, we're really looking forward to that coming out soon. 
and they're yeah they're kind of our, our core one so we're going to have two six packs and four 500 mil um and then kind of semi-permanent at the moment is impeachment uh so we did a beer called uh dump the trump uh, american ipa mm-hmm. um before the election and we did that because we we it was funny yeah, it was like yeah. this guy's never going to get in not in a million years yeah and it was, and everyone felt that way. Um, obviously, some people didn't feel that way. Um, and and, uh, and that. this time last year is when he, when he got in. Yeah. yeah, so I was down in Dunedin for the beer festival last week. And uh, last year, a week in last year, um, I was down in Dunedin when we found out he got elected. And I proceeded to get uh, relatively uh, inebriated. Uh, <laughs> trying to and mix up with... Um, a bit of whiskey topped in just because uh, I needed to not feel feelings anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. not that I condone that kind of behavior, but it was a pretty messed up night. Um, sure. So I got all these calls and we'd been selling Dumper Trump probably for like six months beforehand. Uh, and then we're like, oh, you're going to keep making it. You know, people are going to buy heaps. He's now prison. Everyone, and I was like, no, it's not funny anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care if there's beers, but they're selling beer on earth. Uh, it's just not funny anymore. So, uh, a couple of months later, we decided to release, uh, it was probably after the inauguration, um, we decided to make an impeachment sour ale as kind of our protest to it actually happen, mm. happening. So we did a, we made a kettle sour, 5.5% kettle sour with um, pills and malt wheat. Uh, and then uh, added, we had 200 kgs of Golden, uh, golden Queen Hawks Bay peaches to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, impeachment peach sour. Uh, we just picked up a gold medal at the New Zealand Brewers Guild Awards in nice. Mexico for it, which we're pretty stoked with. Yeah. Pretty happy since it's the only sour beer we do and pick up a gold medal was pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, I haven't had a chance um, to try that one. I'll have to grab a grab a can. Yeah, I don't think it's made it that far up north yet, but uh, we're trying. Right. Um, uh, uh, pretty much our deal is with, with uh, impeachment is that we had Dumper Trump uh, impeachment, and if he gets impeached, we'll stop making impeachment. <laughs> and we'll make a beer called Dumped for Trump. Uh, okay. Dumped in the past. Then. So um, we're hoping that day comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, sure, we'll sure. Um, and so aside, milk, uh, milk chocolate stout and uh, sour beer aside, would you say you're a, uh, a brewery that makes, uh, or a brewing company that makes hoppy beer? Would you say that kind of more um, defines you guys? I mean, that if you Very no, much. I think for the usual, like, we are a hoppy beer brewery, but right. we also very much devil. Our, our dark beers are very, very popular. We did an uh, imperial, coffee imperial style called Good Morning Vietnam with Vietnamese coffee beans we brought back from our honeymoon um, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done, you know, some beer, Vana beers, um, Nutella, chocolate hazelnut porter, and uh, Dubai's, which is a white Russian imperial white style with cold brew coffee, mm-hmm. um, kind of Lebowski-esque um, beer that I think we got second at Vietnam this year. Um, and yeah, so we do do a lot of those, but like I would say, eighty something odd percent of the beers we make are pretty hoppy, um, and that's what I enjoy drinking most of the time. Um, but we also we don't want to be pigeonholed going oh, you guys only make hoppy beers. We we you know sour you know sours. We've got another sour coming up, um, hopefully not too far away, and um, more, we'll have more dark beers when the the weather in Auckland's just started being amazing, so I'm very much thinking that uh, more dark beers, apart from chocolate milk, start probably at least three, four, five months away. Right. right. Um, but yeah, we do enjoy making a, a spectrum of things, and when we have the brew pub, we're really looking forward to that freedom to be able to brew just stuff, new fun stuff all the time, um, even more than we do now. And it's, I think we've been pretty prolific over the last, at least, especially the last two years, we've been pretty prolific with new beers. Um, but when you've got your own space, we can, you know, 
crank that up and double triple what we're doing now. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, um, when you got, you know, you talked about the passion uh, that you had when you first got into the hobby and, and how into it you were. And I think that's pretty common. A lot of us get really obsessed with this, but we get, I think, mm-hmm. I think different things draw us to you draw different people to beer. What was it for you? What is special about this thing? What made you, uh, presumably not be able to stop thinking about it and need to dedicate your life to this weird and wonderful yeah. thing? Um, yeah. So we, I, I, I've got, I'm a weirdo in the fact that I started collecting beer glasses when I was 11 years old. <laughs> I wasn't even drinking beer until yeah. I was 17, 18, uh-huh. um, apart from you know, a few sips of my dad's stuff or whatever. Um, but I just really liked, I, I don't know, I started, oh, there's something about beer that I really liked. It's probably, you know, a kid looking up to their dad drinking beer and all that kind of stuff at the time. And I liked collecting things and, and I you know, collected over about 300 beer glasses, which are actually on permanent display at uh, One Fat Bird and Karori in Wellington, sitting up on there, because we literally have no room to keep them at home, so they're, sure. on, they're on loan to a, a bar that friends of ours run. And, um, yeah, and then I don't know, I just, when I started drinking beer, as, you know, as a student, I probably drank, you know, drank $5 jugs of tui and the stuff that 18-year-olds do. Um, and then, but I think I was probably about 20, and my friend Paul, the same guy who got me into home brewing. He was working, so he was only one of our friends who wasn't at university, he was off working, so he was the only one who had any money. And um, we'd go to the old malt house on Willis Street in Wellington and get some tasting trays of Tuatara. Uh, and at the time, like, you know, Tuatara were the only ones, maybe Emerson as well, were doing anything that was kind of fun and out there, and we got these tasting trays. To be fair, not because we want to try these interesting beers, which we did, uh, is because we worked out that... Um, all the taste put together, you're paying like three dollars a pint worth of alcohol. And we're like, this is great. Um, but I tried these new different beers, like Tuatara Ardennes, Belgium. I tried Orvel there for the first time, and these beers were just—they blew my mind. I was like, man, these things are amazing. And ever since then, uh, we've been—I've been into craft beer. So I've been into craft beer since I was about twenty, so probably about thirteen years now. Um, and um, yeah, it's just seeing how New Zealand's developed—it's um, been amazing. And yeah, I've always, I, I've just been a beer nerd, and I, I think when I got into homebrewing, uh, I've really just made that transition from, like, I'm a beer going to festivals and going to all these events and hanging out with Luke at events and hoping he'd buy me a pint because I was still broke. Um, and at, at all these events, um, just was that next step um, and getting into brewing, and I'd already had the passion and the beer geekery behind me, and then I transitioned that into trying to make some really good beer. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about contracting in your business model, because I know, you know, I, mm-hmm. as a fellow beer nerd, uh, I have wrestled with that concept of opening a brewery for many years and I haven't, I haven't done it. And for now, I'm happy, you know, doing what I'm doing and sort of being part of the industry as a writer and podcaster. But I think it's mm-hmm. in the cards at some point. Um, but, and I first, I first brewed my first, uh, beer, homebrew beer back, uh, and I'm 43 now when I was 25, I think. So quite a while ago, but then wow. I, I took the, I, yeah. some things happened. I took some time sort of away from, I just kind of got busy with life and hadn't done it for, there was a good 10 year gap in there and then started back up again when I moved to New Zealand. I don't know how many years it's been now, six, seven years. I moved here eight years ago and at some point, not long after I started brewing mm-hmm. and, and became obsessed and couldn't stop thinking about it. And there's, uh, and I always had a kind of negative look on contracting in the sense that I think, and I think this is not true uh in new zealand and maybe not true so much anymore uh anywhere in the craft beer scene i think 
25 years ago, the, the view on contracting was that you weren't making it and it was more, you were just, you were a marketing company who just licensed a product. And now we're seeing more uh-huh. the gypsy brewer thing. We're seeing, um, uh, these people getting, I, I've basically what I'm trying to say is I've kind of come full circle and that's kind of where my mind is a little bit is coming into the industry in that way where, uh, I'm Im- imagining, I don't know too much about the actual process, but I'm imagining really being I'm able sure. to insert myself and, and really have a scenario that is no different than if I had a brewery and employed brewers, but I'm making it, I'm overseeing it and I'm defining, I'm creating this product. I'm just not using my own space so is that what it's like like t- tell us about your choice to go that way and and what the reality yeah. of contract brewing is versus owning your your own brewery at the time when we started i think we, there was n- we really there was no option to do it i i didn't have um the anyone who i could lean on to to finance uh, a brewery um and it it was just the way we started out. Um, also on that as well, um, you know, Sam Adams, you might like them or might not like them. Um, they're the biggest craft brewery in, in America and mm. they started out, I think they contract brewed for the first five or six years of their operations. It was, um, I only found that out relatively oh, recently. Yeah, no, I, I okay, well. Um, yeah, so that was kind of, it was just the only option that we had to us at the time, like, to be fair. Yeah. And the way, there are definitely some companies out I won't name any names that they are a marketing company and they just they, they pay someone else to come up with a recipe or and and then they come up with the marketing and they go out and do the sales force and and and, and then that's fine that's what they want to do um, for me uh, I mean I put my my name on the back of the bottles and cans for a reason because I oversee the whole thing I come up with the names I come up with the recipes and I work with some really talented brewers um, and definitely I mean I've had some help and inspiration I think we've kind of um, inspired each other to, to do different things in different ways. Um, me being, you know, the owner of Behemoth and uh, creating these different recipes and stuff. And then also, you know, the, the actual brewers who, are, who I work with um, and they, they're the ones who are, who, are, who are brewing the beer. I'm there overseeing it and I'm helping out during the brewing, but I wouldn't go into a someone else's brewery and just be able to use everything straight away because... I'm pretty sure they wouldn't want me to break things. Um, <laughs> right. It is. It's very. But yeah, it, I, I'm. I'm there in as, as hands-on as, as humanly possible. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, the buck stops with me. If the beer, the beer's bad, uh, it's my fault. It's, I mean, they could have done something wrong. But um, at the end of the day, I, I need to sign everything off and make sure that the beer uh, is is really good and it's out there in its best state as it can be. Um, there is a lot of talk in New Zealand about you know substandard beer being out there and stuff, and I think it's a hard thing for small businesses. If you have a dump a batch, that that could be the end of your business because that's sure. all your cash flow. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, if your brand's out there and your brand is that your beer is inconsistent, and I don't want to gamble whether I want to drink it or not, then like you're not going to go very far. And we pride ourselves on making sure that the beer is always as good as it can be. Um, and that's, I think that's really, really important. Um, yeah, so contract brewing, yeah, I think we've probably used more breweries than anyone else in New Zealand. Um, but uh, we are kind of looking at the model when we open the brew pubs that we'll have one place that we, we contract models and stuff and then we'll brew all the small batch stuff ourselves. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense, especially when you are involved. I mean, I can't see it as being all that much different than 
like I said, if you've got a, if you had hired a, uh, if you're a brewery owner, you've hired a brewer. Uh, I mean, if you are creating the recipes and you're going in and, and at least initially being involved to make sure it's being brewed to your specs and in the way that you want it and, mm-hmm. uh, and consistent with your process, I, I, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that's currently how, where my brain is going. If I do ever sort of jump, jump off that yeah. cliff and give it a, right. uh, give it a crack because I don't, I, I want to create beers. And I want to make sure they're great, but I don't know that I need to go and and push liquid from one tank to another every single day. I think I'd be better ser- I serve people better if I was creating it and then ultimately just getting it out there. Yeah, and I, I, we are, I'm working really hard to to create this company where um, I get to do those things that I know that I'm good at, and then outsource things that you know, like admin and, and all that kind of stuff that uh, there are better people who are much better at it than I am. Right. And I can focus on creating new beers and making sure that the beer is great and doing fun things and, you know, meeting meeting customers and, and and doing all those kind of things that, you know, that's what that's what I'm, I'm better served yeah, at. And yeah. we're slowly getting there. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Cool. And, and actually having a home base, which will be, we're really looking forward to having a home base where we can welcome people. My wife's a butcher as well. Um, so we're going to be doing a whole like nose to tail butchery thing at the pub. Um, she's on the New Zealand and she owns a, a lady butcher that she would uh, meet. Uh-huh. Um, and she does, yeah, she does some amazing stuff. It's, it's delicious. And we're going to be doing whole nose to tail butchery and then matching that up with great beers. We're wanting to create something that will be a really good experience for people to come in and enjoy themselves and just try some awesome beer and, and awesome meat and other non-meat things that made me meat. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so like we, we just, we're looking forward to, to creating a home base because I, I think, um, contract brewing is great, but I also think that, um, having, somewhere to call home and something that people can come and visit and and see what you're all about is really cool as well. So the brew pub model is a great thing and there's more and more brew pubs opening up all the time. There's you know a new one opening up in Wellington the next couple of weeks and there's one that's opened a few months ago and a few months ago that before that. Um so yeah I think I think that's a great model as well. Um yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Be able to, you know, yeah. Yeah so uh, yeah, Heyday. Heyday are just about to open, um, or they're in the midst of opening at the moment. Um, Sam, who we actually all, oh, there's another there's a story, and I don't, um, know if you talked to other people about it. We had at Hajigozaki in Wellington, we had a homebrew group, and I think between six and nine people from that homebrew group now were commercial in, in the commercial brewing industry. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, so Shiggy from Funk Estate, um, Sam from the Heyday, ex Panhead, um, Lou from Wild and Woolly, who's just they've kind of wrapped up Wild and Woolly now, but they were making some awesome stuff. Aiden from Balins, uh, and a few other guys in there as well who are just doing some really cool stuff now. So it's really cool to see where we've come from homebrewing to 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 getting out there and getting more people to try our beer. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, um, speaking of beer, uh, you've got a recipe that you are willing to share. Um, what what beer are we yes. talking about here? Yeah, Chur New Zealand Pale Ale. Fantastic. Um, I'm so, so impressed, i got to say. like uh, we've, d- we've been doing this, for, you know, this is going to be episode number eight. And I mm-hmm. kind of went into this thinking that people would be more guarded about their recipes. And, you know, they'd give us their their the recipes for their um, seasonals or their one-offs or a, a beer they no longer produce. But everyone, well, not everyone, but just about everyone has given us a recipe to something really special. You know, their core, their, their yeah. uh, McLeod's just gave us their long border, long border lager recipe. And uh, Mike's gave 
Oh, that... Jake, I'm going to ask Jake. I'm going to ask Jason for that myself. That longwood lager, oh man, yeah, yeah there's, there's a reason I won champion lager. Yeah, a very good beer. Well, the the recipe. Well, you'll 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 you can find it on episode number seven of the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. Okay, um, I will. It's a it's a very unique one. There's a, an enormous amount of uh, hops in the whirlpool. Very very little uh, as a in terms of bittering, which is not a surprise. But for a lager that comes off as a flavorful and slightly hoppy international lager it's there's a lot of hops like ipa level hops uh, in there and so it's quite unique that sounds like jason it, but but it doesn't you don't it doesn't taste like an india pale lager it tastes like a, an, an you know a lager um, i think it must i would my guess i don't even know but i think it should it would be a lot of low alpha stuff in the world so you don't get too much bitterness but you get a lot of flavor that's just my guess but um i'll listen to the podcast yeah yeah, yeah it's it's medium it's a uh, machueca and I, what was it uh pacifica i think um oh that's kind of medium yeah and and right. and and but it's like something like I, I don't have it in front of me but i want to say in a 23 liter batch it was like 190 grams or something like that in the whirlpool it was just like there's wow. a lot there's a lot <laughs> yeah it was but you don't taste it wow anyway, we had a big debate about it on the on the show i had to even follow up with the text going do i have this right is that is it yep that's that's right but anyway pr- proof is in the pudding o- the only gold medal uh lager uh currently uh in new zealand being produced in new zealand at least uh per this year and year's. northland as well yeah so and, you gotta be you gotta be proud of northland after the awards for there. sure yeah for sure and those guys i'm, I'm sure you you uh, know him and would probably agree they're some of the nicest guys uh i think in oh, the yeah. industry they're yeah. re- really nice so yeah. very Absolutely. very happy for him but anyway let's let's talk about uh sure let's get that recipe if we could and um if I, you have yeah. it in front of you you ready to go what what format are you going to give I us just in? i just scaled down from five thousand liters to 23 liters to oh, get a bit of a sweet oh actually i should probably take the brew house efficiency down a little bit i think we're running at about 90 percent so we want to run that down to about 80 or 70, do you want 80 or 75? 75 would be probably pretty good. Okay, 75. So, um, yeah, if we're looking at that, we're probably looking at about 3.9 kgs of um, Beard's Pale Ale. Okay. Uh, or Malt Europe Pale Ale. We've, we've used both. Um, you get a little bit more kind of malt character out of the Beard's than Malt Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of up to you, up to up to up to the brewer, I think. You, um, you, you, to, sorry, I can't speak. You have used both. We have used both, and okay. we actually have used Vimin for it in the past as well. Got it. Um, we've we have definitely played around with changing our base malts around um, just to see how different characteristics we get out of it. Right. Um, but I think yeah, we used actually we used Malt Europe on Wednesday. We okay. brewed a double batch, ten thousand liters. We used Malt Europe, so yeah, Malt Europe's Malt Europe's nice, clean. Uh, New Zealand malt, uh, and then uh, so that was yeah 3.9 kgs, which is about 82 percent of the grist, and then uh, Munich Weimann Munich, uh, Munich one or Munich two, it doesn't really matter because they're probably just like half an EBC shade difference, right, really okay. very little. Um, so 420 grams of that, and um, that's about 90 percent of the grist, and then uh, Weimann Pale Wheat, uh, about 220 grams. And that's about 4.6% of the grist. And then um, we have used Cara Hill in the past, but more recently we've been using um, just uh, Beard's Cara Malt, and that's 200 grams, or about 4.5% um, of Cara. That's, so that's the, that's the base. Okay. Should add up to about 100. Okay. Uh, and then we get about seven IB, six to seven IBU 
from the bittering, which is we just use Pacific Jade, mm-hmm. which most I think most brewers use Pacific Jade for bittering. Uh, and then everything that's, else that's is in the whirlpool. We don't go? do anything. So sixty minutes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. Go on, go on. And then, yep. And then uh, everything else goes in the whirlpool. Most of our beers are vast majority whirlpool hops, um, and, and we have quite a few beers that, that we don't even use a bittering hop for, and we just use all whirlpool. Um, just we want to get maximum flavor extraction out with, you know, I kind of look at my recipes as like uh, I've got a budget of IBUs I can spend and how much flavor can I get out of that budget. Right, uh, right. And that's what I care about. And that's, um, so we use uh, 50 grams of um, Taiheke or New Zealand Cascade, uh-huh. uh, 50 grams of Nelson Sovin, and uh, 25 grams of Rewaka in a whirlpool. Okay. And that all depends on it's there's so many different variables of how long you Yeah, that, that was going to be what I was going to ask. Well, how would you, how would you approach it as a home brewer who's using probably for the most part an immersion chiller uh at, would you chuck it in yeah. a flame out and then start bringing it down or what would you do? I uh, usually yeah, I chuck it in a flame out and um if it, if it's if it's just um say a giant pot and you've got an immersion chiller in there uh, physically create a whirlpool, pretty much stir, stir it and, and let it, uh, let it kind of mix in and, and, uh, let, you know, it'll settle in a nice cone down the bottom while you're putting the immersion chiller in. Um, it's been quite a while since I've used an immersion chiller. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. I suppose um, more and more people are using then, plate chillers, but I, I still use an immersion chiller. Yeah, no, there's something fun about those and, uh, I've seen some pretty cool handmade ones. I've <laughs> seen some pretty interesting looking inversion tools over the years. Um, and then, yeah, and then pretty similar on the, um, on the dry hop as well. 50 kgs of Taiki, 50, uh, 50 kgs, sorry, 50 grams, uh, <laughs> of Taiki. <laughs> uh, we've just done a double. We just done 10,000 liters the other day. So you, you would have like, got a text my, message. Um, to, <laughs> you would have got a text message on that one. Um, 50 kgs. Uh, one? why is this beer just green schlock? <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's, there's so much hops in there. All the liquid hasn't even touched them all. Um, <laughs> I have to have it with a spoon. Uh, 50, uh, 50 grams of Taiki, 50 grams of milk, seven, and 25 grams of Rewaka. Nice. And that's yeah. uh, for, uh, for how many days? And are you doing that warm, cool? So we, we've actually only just played around with cool um, for the first time, uh, uh, cool dry hopping. Um, but we did, we did, um, warm and um, cool just to, to kind of see some variances. But for this, no, we'd go all um, 18 to 20 degrees uh, for, for about five days. No, five I, days. We don't, I don't like to keep it on for more than five days. I think you end up getting a, a bit too much vegetal character out of the hops if you leave it in there for too long. So five days maximum for me. Yeah. Got it. Cool. And let's talk about the mash temp because uh, we didn't uh, do that. Oh, yes. Indeed. Um we have started mashing our beers a lot higher now. Um, so we use, we're pretty basic on this. We either use just USO5 or, or um, White Labs 001. Uh, and we mash it at about 69 now. So we, 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 we used to mash very much on the lower side, 67, 66, 67. Um, because we don't use a lot of specialty malts. So if we look at this, this one's got 4.5% um, crystal. Um, it's probably the highest amount of crystal we have in any of our PLLs or IBAs. Like most of them will have like two percent, um, and then maybe some carapils or something like that. So because we don't use so many specialty molds, you have the 
that run the risk of being too dry or not having enough body. Um, right. So we'd rather have a, a lower amount of special emulsions and then match the higher temperature so you still get the body, but you don't get all that crystal. I, I have a massive pet peeve about uh, over-crystallized parallel IPAs. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you're chucking, chucking so many beautiful hops in there. Why kill it all with too much crystal malt? Right. It's much more of an English than American New Zealand way of doing it, I think. Sure, um, sure. So yeah, mash and high. I'm a big fan of mash and high using my special emulsions. And sorry, I missed that. What was it, 67 you said? 69. Oh, 69. 69. Got it, got it. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. surprised there's quite a few. I know I remember hearing Lagunitas um, was mashing uh, something crazy like one, uh, sorry, this is Fahrenheit. I can't do the conversion fast yeah. enough, but something like 160 uh, right at the top. It might have been 158, but it was right, I think it was 160, like right up at the top of the supposed, um, well, I don't know what you call that point where the enzymes um, sort of denature. Still converting. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I think, I, I know some like two and a half percent pale owls and stuff, they measure about 70 mm. or even slightly higher than 70 just um, to get enough body. So Yeah, I spoke with um, the guys from Croucher and they were telling me some oh, yeah. ridiculously high um, mash temperature. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay, so so 69 on the mash temp and what am I missing? So fermentation temp. Oh, yeast, actually. We got to think about the yeast. Temp- Oh yes, yes. So we yeah we used just uh, a normal American ale. We used um, USO five or yeah. um, double O one. Okay. Um, uh, ten seventy two um, does it as well, but it does leave a slightly maltier character. Um, so you probably just need to play with the mean temperature. We don't really use that so much, but yeah. So that's um, that's pretty much what we do for that. And what was the temperature? Uh, temperature is, uh, we, we start off at about 18 and we've got up to 20 and then a bit higher for diastole west. Okay. Do you let it sort of free rise at 20 or how do you let, how, or do you just kind of. Yeah, free rise. Okay, yeah. Got it. Cool. And then yeah. diastole rest and, uh, what did I have? I feel like I had a question about that fermentation temperature that is escaping me. Um, what about, uh, water? Any treatment to the water? Yeah, so we just some uh, probably slightly more gypsum than, than chloride. Um, yeah, so we we could we we play around with it depending on the water that we're using. Sure. Uh, but yeah, we we do. Yeah, we I haven't got the ratio right in front of me, but yeah, it's just more gypsum than chloride, yeah. and we kind of switch that around for our darker stuff, and we switch it around again for our hazy IPAs, which we're starting to do a shitload of um, in 2018. I don't even know how many hazy IPAs we're going to do, but it's going to be a lot. Right. My, my probably bad advice that'll get people in trouble every once in a while is to when, when it's that kind of an answer, which is, is often the answer is to if most people are using sort of rainwater, you know, out of their tanks and, and whatnot, then I, I sort of say go with a teaspoon and split it in half and you'll, you'll probably be close enough and you might have to add a little lactic. Yeah. Acid I mean, yeah. PH, I, I pH think, problems. yeah, that's not bad. Can I go back on that recipe a little bit? Um, I realized that I changed the efficiency on my software right in front of me and oh, yep. put you astray. Okay. Um, and, did, and then didn't change the, so just, um, just changed it up to, um, 4.7, um, kgs of, um, pale malt. Oh, sorry, 4.7 kg. Well, you're at pale, uh, 450 grams of Munich, uh, Weimann Munich 2, uh, 250 grams of, Wyman uh, pale wheat and 200 grams of Wyman, uh, oh no, sorry, of Beard's uh, car- uh, yeah, just caramel. Yeah. 
Great. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, again, we do a recipe recap on each one of these, so I'll make that nice and tidy and clear for everyone. Cool. Um, but uh, anything special on the carbonation level? How many volumes of CO2 would, should someone shoot for? Uh, just just exactly what you usually do. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. We don't do much special with it, yeah. pretty much. Fair enough. Cool. Um, well, I think, well, that, that is very cool. I, again, <clears throat> very stoked to be amassing this collection of New Zealand, um, clone recipes for people. I know they're digging it. It's sort of, uh, no worries. Become... So we, we, yeah, we, 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 um, publish a lot of recipes in Beer and Brewer magazine, sure. uh, which is New Zealand and Australian publication. And, uh, we pretty much do on every issue for them. So we, we love sharing recipes and we, I, people like, oh, I don't think people are going to steal our recipes and, you know, Come competition or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, you know, make make the beer and 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 try and you know help other people make the kind of beers that um, if they if they like our beer and, and then want to try and recreate it, then that's awesome. Well, and I think it's I personally think it's a very healthy thing for the brewery. I know that uh, if if I go as far as to try and brew a beer from a brewery, I become much more connected emotionally to that brewery. They they yeah, I'm sure, take, yeah. take up a huge place in my mind. Um, and personal history at that, at that point. You know, they're not just another beer. They're a beer that I've, I've, they're a brewery that I've studied and a beer that I've made and drunk 20 liters of and probably bought commercially and drank side by side. You know, it ends up taking up a lot of mental energy. And, and I think it's a, a great relationship for, beer drinker slash home brewer and brewery to have. So I'm, but not everyone is comfortable. So I appreciate that you are. Um, all right. I think that about does it, uh, for us, we've been, we've been going on for about an hour and I, I think that's about all the time we've got. Any final words for home brewers or, uh, anybody listening? Yeah. Just, uh, make good beer and drink good beer and, yeah. uh, enjoy doing it. Very cool. Thanks very much, Andrew. Really appreciate it. You, uh, you taking the time and sharing that recipe. No worries, man. Cheers. Yes. Compact and simple to use with a small footprint for brewing indoors, the Grainfather makes it easy for you to brew professional quality beers at home. The Grainfather is an all-in-one brewing system that lets you brew all-grain beer in a single compact stainless steel unit. It uses an electric heating element and pump to maintain a constant temperature and to circulate the wort during the mashing and cooling stages. It also comes with a counterflow chiller to reduce chilling times and produce high quality wort. And now, with the addition of their conical fermenter, the Grainfather takes things one step further by offering homebrewers state-of-the-art temperature-controlled fermentation just like commercial breweries use. And with the Grainfather Recipe Creator and Connect app, you can easily design a recipe, sync your brewing system with your phone, and then just sit back and relax as the app takes over and assures that you maintain your scheduled mash temps and boil schedule. Head to grainfather.com to purchase your all-in-one brewing system today and to sign up for their free recipe creator tool. Once more, head on over to grainfather.com, that's grainfather.com, and get started today. Pai Bruco is a fast-growing farmhouse brewery located at Kirikiri in the far north, offering a wide range of beer styles from our highly sessionable Woodamoo Wallace Scottish Ale to our unfiltered East Coast Double IPA bursting with juicy tropical fruit flavours or if you prefer the complexities of farmhouse ales and mixed ferments then try our Summer Love Saison a refreshing Belgian Saison that is brimming with notes of black pepper and ripe pineapple just one of the many enticing beers in our farmhouse and sour funk series to find out more about our tasting room trading hours or our growing lineup of beers go to kainuibruco.co.nz 
That's kainuibruco.co.nz. Kia ora. What do you think about that there, Gary? I thought it was awesome. John, once again, you've done an excellent job oh. of chronicling the, you know, New Zealand beer scene. It's, it's good to get a different perspective, you know. It's, yeah. We've talked to some brewers that, you know, be brewing the beer themselves, and while he has a, a good hand in the brewing process, he's, he's a contract brewer. Um, it's just good to, good to see it from another angle, and he's obviously done an amazing job, um, Getting his, you know, with everything he's done, he sounds like a top bloke. Um, I've never met the guy, but he's, you know, sounds like a good guy, and, um, a good guy to share a beer with, and he's he's done a good job with with his with his brand. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've met him a few times at various beer events and and whatnot. Um, and yeah, a really nice guy, smart guy, and, and certainly doing great things with uh with his brand and. You know, all I care about is that the people making the product are are passionate about it. And as I said in the interview, I you know I see an increasing sort of number of reasons that 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 model makes sense. As long as you are ultimately creating creating the beers and you have a hand in ultimately uh, you know how those beers are made, and you know you you care about the product, and and it's clear that he does. And even more so than just the obvious there just the fact that they've made what do you say like 80 beers or something like that say 80 different beers that's yeah, that's, that's not lot. typical of a sort of contract bre- uh, brewer's model you know or at least not typical of a contract brewer who's just trying to create a brand and make you know make some money as a sort of marketing firm that's uh that's somebody who wants to get a lot of uh weird and interesting things out into the market because he loves the product and you know i think that's cool yeah for sure but uh, we're going to do a recap of that recipe uh, here. Let's see. Actually, I just kind of want to break everything down for everyone. Before we do that, uh, you know, if you were going to take a stab at brew- uh, brewing this beer, which you should, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna implore you to head on over to our favorite brew shop, which is brewshop.co.nz, to get those ingredients. Um, because as uh, you guys know, brewing world-class beer at home boils down to using fresh quality ingredients and the right equipment and that is why both me and Gary shop once again at brewshop.co.nz now they were born out of frustration with half-baked attempts at online homebrew supply stores in New Zealand uh, and brew shop's goal is to provide Kiwi homebrewers with the best ingredients supplies and customer service in this country they don't have any gin flavor packs no fancy liquor essences or wine kits or anything like that just everything that you need to make good quality beer so brew shop carries a huge range of ingredients and equipment and delivers it to your door fast they store all of their hops and vacuum sealed foil bags and their high turnover ensures that all of your malt and liquid yeast arrives on your doorstep fresh now and this is where you really need to listen in to save 10 percent on ingredients throughout the month of november uh, simply head on over to brewshop.co.nz and enter coupon code nz brewer once again nz brewer during checkout uh and while you're there be sure to thank them for being a sponsor of this show and uh you know helping to make the new zealand brewer podcast possible so once more head on over to brewshop.co.nz 
That's brewshop.co.nz and get everything that you need to ensure that your next beer is brewed right. Now, again, uh, just a final reminder, you only you only got another uh, another week or so to take advantage of that uh, discount code. So uh, make make sure you, uh, you, you know, you go get the ingredients for that next recipe uh, pretty quick here. All right. So let's see here, Gary, let's run through that recipe. So uh, uh, as I've said before, we're, we're trying to create a sort of standard here on the show for all of the recipes. The brewers will give it to me in uh, various forms, sometimes uh, much larger amounts, sometimes per, uh, percentages. Uh, and then we're going to break them down into 23 liter batches. Um, uh, the idea there is that you're going to leave a couple of liters behind in your kettle and a couple of liters uh, behind in the fermenter, and you're going to end up with about 19 liters, you know, full corny keg of finished beer. So this recipe is uh, set at 75% efficiency. The starting gravity is uh, 1055. The final gravity is 1013. Uh, and we're going to be using 4.7 uh, kgs of Baird's Pale uh, ale malt or malt Europe. Uh, they've done both. Um, and then uh, that was malt Europe pale ale malt. And then uh, 450 grams of Munich 2 and 250 grams of pale wheat. Both of those were wiremen. Uh, and then we got 200 grams of Baird's caramalt. So you're going to mash all of that grain at 69 degrees uh, for an hour. And then you're going to add uh, four grams or seven IBUs of Pacific Jade. Uh, boil for 60 minutes and then at flame out uh, or in Whirlpool, which is how they do it if you're using a larger system. But uh, if it was me, I'd chuck it in at uh, at flame out, as Andrew also sort of advised for the average home brewer, we're going to chuck in uh, 50 grams of uh, New Zealand uh, Cascade or Taihiki, um, 50 grams of Nelson Sauv, and 25 grams of Rewaka. Uh, and then we're going to ferment that beer at 18 degrees Celsius, let it uh, uh, free. Uh, Free rise up to 20, do a diacetyl rest there uh, near the end by ramping it up another a couple of degrees. Uh, we're going to ferment that with USO5, or if you're a liquid, a liquid yeast fan, it'll be uh, Cal Ale or WLP001, something like that. Uh, then we're going to dry hop this beer uh, with, well, once it's all done at... Uh, uh, or sorry, with 50 grams of Taihiki, uh, 50 grams of Nelson Sov, and 25 grams of Rewaka for about five days. The only other thing you mentioned was the water treatment was slightly more gypsum than chloride. So if you're using sort of a, a, a really neutral uh, water, like say rainwater, you might check in something like if you if you want to just be safe, uh, say uh, 0.75 teaspoons of gypsum, uh, uh, of gypsum, so three quarters of a teaspoon of gypsum, and then maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of chloride. So the balance is towards the the gypsum and this beer. I think that covers it. Anything I I forget to mention there, Gary? I don't think so, John. I didn't. I you've done uh, well. I mentioned the yeast. We're not going to have to we'll correct that next time. No. All right. So uh, I don't know. I think I think. Well, we got a couple of questions at least, uh, or at last I checked. Um, but before we do that, I think I'm going to crack another beer. What do you say? Sounds like a good idea. All right. So I shall too. What are you drinking? Uh, done it again. Drinking my own beer. Sorry, yeah. hang my head in shame. All right. Well, tell us. Uh, tell us about your beer, Gary. 
Not sure if I've drunk this on the show before. I think I probably have. It's the East Coast Double IPA. The amazing traveling East Coast Double IPA. It's it's delicious, of course. And, you know, it's all I had. That's Sorry. <laughs> well, I, um, it is a very good beer. It's an excellent, excellent beer. I really like that. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned on a previous show and I, I mentioned to you, I think, um, to date, that's probably not, it's not necessarily the beer that I'm going to go back for, um, the most, but it's, it's, I think the beer, the best, best brewed beer, that doesn't sound like a proper sentence, but, um, I, I think you really hit the mark on that one. I think it's a really delicious beer. It has none of the things that I don't like about double IPAs and a lot of the things that, um, you know, I wish were in more of them. It's a, it's a, it's a really good beer. Um, I am drinking, um, something that I've never tried before. It's, it's another one from Craftwork. It's their, um, Poodle Faker Saison. It's, I guess they're, calling it sort of uh saison that they brewed for the new zealand christmas and i don't know if i can sort of read this while uh, talking into a microphone but it says uh, uh uh again brewed for a new zealand christmas it's ginger and spices and southern rata honey um melds sorry the writing is really small here melds with subtle i uh wakatu hops Gladfield, uh, Gladfield's finest malt, and a super saison yeast, so a spiced saison, sort of for the Christmas um, season, which I'm kind of kicking myself over because I just turned in an article, uh, as you know, um, called "12." This is for the Shout New Zealand, called "12 Beers for a Kiwi Christmas," and I did mention, uh, funny enough, a craft work beer. It was their saison uh, anise, uh, because I felt that uh, that. You know, the, the spiciness of that beer would make for a, a really nice Christmas beer, somehow completely failing to uh, realize or overlooking the fact that they had an actual beer that they felt they brewed for a New Zealand Christmas. So fail on my part. But it is it is smelling good. It's a sort of uh, a, a darker Saison. You know, it's a, a, a good sort of dark amber. And you can really smell the, you know, the spices uh that i just mentioned and the uh the esters coming from good saison yeast yeah i really like that what did i say i'm i feel like i'm tasting anise again in this but i don't remember um uh, just says ginger and spice so i'm thinking there might be some anise in this it's really good i love everything they do um shall we take some questions gary Where are we? Sorry. Fuck, this is a this is a treat, man. This is a good beer. Is it? Mm. Must have to, is it from Nosh? From Nosh, yeah. Nosh is our uh to seek it out. The best uh the best beer bar oh well, not beer bar, the best beer the best bottle shop, I guess, if you're a craft beer fan in, in Northland, if you ask me. They don't have a lot, but what they have is excellent. And man, the the there's like a creaminess somehow to the the. Oh, it's not quite in the mouth feel, but this head is like it's almost got a nitrousy kind of creaminess to it. It's it's insane. Sounds good. Um, Marcus Marcus Ian Ferguson says pitching yeast. Are there any adverse effects of pitching yeast at a higher or lower temperature than your desired fermentation temp, but still within the yeast's range? 
For example, not being able to chill work down to desired pitching temperature, but still in the higher end of the yeast recommended range. So who you you take this one because you got the actual science here. You're the guy who studies the stuff, and then I'll I'll chime in if that if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what I like to do when I'm brewing is, again, is um, I think I might have talked about this before, but I like to just um, remove variables. So just keep keep the best practice, and then you can sort of go back and if you if you know that you're if you know you're doing everything to a certain, you know, like if you're keeping some variables the same, then you, if you have a problem or something goes wrong, then you know where to point your finger. And if you're if you're always keeping your pitching temperature, you know, as as people say to do it, then you're removing that variable. Having said that, um, well, if if you are pitching at a higher temperature, you, you're doing things like you're, you're increasing certain enzymes, catalysts, um, and you are increasing precursors, um, all, all sorts of different compounds are being produced in that in that phase, in, in the log uh, in the in the log phase of growth. So if you're doing it at a higher temperature, it's not ideal. Having again, having said that, I do think that you're okay if your cooling rate is slow enough, and you let's say you want to go to bed and it's ten o'clock and it's your your yeast is still twenty. Uh, your were to start 22 degrees, I think you're okay to pitch it. Um, it's again not ideal, but I think you'd be you can get away with it. Um, I have done that a few times and had, haven't had any adverse effects. And there's no reason to, for me, to think that there would be any adverse effects as long as you put enough oxygen into your work. And um, it's gonna that lot that stationary phase is gonna last, you know, a decent amount of time. Um, the, yeah, I can. I certainly there's a lot of science there that you have a good grasp of that I can't argue with at all. Um, uh, so I have nothing other than kind of opinion, uh, a lot of years of reading, and kind of just general um, knowledge that, frankly, you know, isn't as rooted in fact as your studies are, um, and and some experience. But my feeling is that re- you may not have an impact uh from doing that but i would personally never pitch when the temperature was heading down that would that would bother me and my feeling is that that would lead to some possible yeast stress sort of esters and flavors that i might not want in the in the beer and i used to do that because i used to go and um uh basically you know i i chill my beer with an immersion chiller and I bring it down to whatever I thought was my pitching temp and then or or pretty close and then I'd go and rack it into the fermenter and I'd stick my probe on it I'd put it in the in the fridge in my you know fermentation chamber which is just a fridge with a temp control on it and usually it'd be a degree or two uh, higher and then I just kind of wait 30 minutes and then it seemed to drop down to what I wanted and then I pitch my yeast only to realize much later that, uh, you know, if you just gave that carboy a little swirl, it would shoot back up four or five degrees, and it was just that sort of outer layer and the glass itself that was getting cooled down by the, the fridge. And, and those beers were not that great. And I sort of realized that it actually took a lot lo- longer than I thought for that 20 liters of work to ultimately chill down to a stable, let's say, 17 or 18 degrees or whatever my target was. 
And I, because I'm usually finishing at the end of the day, it's usually late. I just gave up on ever getting that beer to, to chill down those couple of degrees. Uh, and so I just, it's, again, as long as you're not leaving the lid off your pot as it's cooling and letting all kinds of wild yeast um, fly into your pot, the beer should be pretty sanitary or the wort should be pretty sanitary. And so I think it's not going to hurt you at all if you let it sit until the morning and then just chuck your yeast in then. And that's kind of what I do. And again, I don't, I'm sure Gary is right. And again, you have a grasp of the science in a way that I don't, but I would personally not, that for me was what I thought was a, a valuable lesson was don't be in a rush to get that yeast in there as the as the beer is still kind of cooling off those final couple of degrees because it it might start waking up and multiplying and producing flavors um while that temp is still going down and I don't I don't personally want that so my process is wait till the temp is stable and then get the yeast in and then ramp it up but I don't I don't know what your thoughts are on that you're certainly not going to have any problems with that. That's the, that's the, the thing. I mean, like I was saying um, originally, is if you do just eliminate that variable, then it's you know you're sticking to best practice. Then it's not an issue. Um, my lag phase is you know fairly long. Uh, yeah, my lag phase is fairly long. So I, I because I use pure O2 in there, and it, um, I know that if I'm I'm not going to have too much adverse effects. My my cooling system is also a lot different than most, but that that is also a, a different variable. So if your cooling system, if you're just dropping, you know, if it's dropping really fast, um, that can have that can cause some thermal shock for the for the yeast. Um, just all these different things. I, I mean, for the homebrew, just just do do your best to stick to the, the best practice. Um, but if it's getting late, then I, I certainly would do that. Hmm. Um, so, sorry, you certainly would do that? I'm not that? talking about I, – I would. I mean, if it was, say, 22 degrees and uh, my pitching temp was 18 and it was coming down, you know, I'd, I'd chuck it in there. Right. But if it was 25 degrees and you're and your target – No, so, I wouldn't. You know, I'd certainly avoid that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, I don't, know. I don't think I'd ever chuck it in at 22, but I, I probably – I mean – if you're getting lower and it's and it's coming down, then, then you, I think you can get away with it, especially with a lager, because it's you know you need to be pitching at 10 degrees or whatever. I, I pitch my yeast at 10 degrees, and um, while I can get it down there fast these days, back when I was at home brewing, um, if, as long as it was on the way down and it wasn't coming down too fast, then I, I'd pitch my yeast, you know, at 15 or 16. Um, all right, next next question. Um, okay, cold crashing. Same, same go. Marcus Ferguson, cold crashing. Fast cooling or gradual? Can rapid cooling cause off flavors? Mm. So there is. Well, okay. Now again, you can tell me how I'm wrong. But um, yeah, ra- supposedly rapid rapid cooling is going to potentially cause a, a some yeast stress uh, that can ca- produce some. I think they're esters. Um, some they, just leak. It's leak. Oh, well, as, as far as I understand it, uh, it's just leaking. It, They'll leak a few esters. Is that right? <laughs> out their bung. <laughs> is that right? Is that really what's happening? The cell walls well, that's, are that's like. How, that's that's how, how I understand it. They'll actually, you know, they'll hold, they won't hold on to. Because um, you know they're holding on to some waste product within their wall, cell walls, and and they'll just um, 
leak just a bit of leak a little bit out there. Right. Out right. The, the only thing I would add to that is that in most again a commercial brewing setting, it's very different. Like the average. Um, homebrewer, it takes a long time to get that beer from 18 degrees down to like two degrees. So I don't, I don't think at that rate, if you're just chucking, if you just turn your fridge on or your your temperature control on your fridge at home with your 20 liters in it, um, on two degrees or one degree or whatever you said it, um, I don't think that's likely to do anything. I don't think you need to sit there because I I think it's, it's something like five degrees Fahrenheit, which, what is that, like two and a half to ish degrees Celsius, um, uh, every, is it hour, two hours, something like that? And I'd, say, I'd, say de- I'd say a degree per hour is completely okay. safe, probably two degrees per hour is yeah. completely safe. And I can't get down, I can't get down 10 degrees in 10 hours, so mm. I don't think you have to mm. worry about it as a home brewer, but yeah, no. but theoretically, yes. I, yeah. I, I sort of dropped mine uh, at eight degree in- increments, so I'm going from 22. At the end of fermentation, I'll drop it down to 14 because it happens quite quickly. Mm-hmm. In in the commercial so just, setting, yeah. with with a glycol chiller yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, it happens fairly. I mean, relatively quickly compared to the homebrew scale. So I do that, and just just again, just peace of mind. I know that you know that that shouldn't be a problem in my process, um, but you know. It's yeah, just sticking to, just do things you you can. The best practice. I mean, it's always a good thing to do if you can tick all the boxes. Then, you know that you're you're doing things right. Then you can sort of start to weed out where you, where your problems are coming from. Mm-hmm. I think we had one more, correct? Or refresh that yes. page. Is it? Mark, do we have it? Do we have a third? Is oh, there any? <laughs> yeah, there could be fifteen more questions. Could be a long night. Mm, it's pretty late. Probably not. Mark Mayberg says, I have been working on reducing oxygen post-ferment. I think we've had a question from him before, but would also like to clarify the beer, e.g. with gelatin. Is this best in the fermenter, mine's conical, or in the keg somehow? Say that one more time. Sorry, I'm I'm busy here with this beer. I'm still, still I'm, I'm, I'm nearing, like, I got half an inch left. This beer is, one, this beer is awesome. Love this beer. Which one is it? Again? It's the Kraftwerk uh, Poodle Faker saison. Their, nice. their New Zealand Christmas beer. It has a picture of a uh, poodle cow. So they've got. I think it's. Do you do love your Christmas beers? John? I do. I'm a Christmas nerd, and I think they've got like uh, three saisons. Uh, one is the anise one. One is the poodle faker. One is the. Did we decide it was pois the the pear um, saison? Mm, and I really I, I like this uh, anise one a lot, and I've never tried this poodle faker, and it's my new favorite. This is a fantastic Christmas beer. Like I'm so bummed that I did not know about this when I just wrote the recent article. Yeah, that's, that's bullshit. This is like this uh, this is my number one New Zealand Christmas beer. This is fantastic. <laughs> well, well done, Tom. Mm, Good one. Yeah. Um, no, that sounds good. I'm going to have to try that. <clears throat> Did you hear the question? No, 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 no. no. I, totally I have been working on reducing oxygen post-ferment, but would also like to clarify the beer, e.g. with gelatin. Is this best in the fermenter? In, in um, brackets, mine's conical, or in the keg somehow? 
Well, again, you know more about this. I'll tell you my little homebrew sort of. Hey, I think you do. Don't I? Don't yeah. I know more. So, so I got into. I've been working on reducing oxygen post ferment. I mean, anytime you're adding something to your beer, you're, you're increasing yeah. the amount of oxygen. You're adding oxygen to it. I mean, like because you're, you're putting gelatin into water, that water has dissolved oxygen in it, um, around eight parts per million for room temperature water. I mean, yes, you're heating it up. So you're getting rid of some of the oxygen, but then it's cooling down again. Oh, actually, no, it wouldn't cool down too much, but there's certainly going to be some some O2 in there. Um, I would say avoid it if you if you can, because you, I mean, again, you're opening up your fermenter as well. Um, I, I don't think it makes a difference when you. I would still add it to the fermenter. I don't think that makes a difference, but I just if you really want to, uh, you know, get rid of oxygen altogether, then don't add it. Um, but if you are going to add it, I don't think it matters whether you add it to the keg or the or the conical. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess. Well, okay. A, a way that it could matter is if you got one of those devices that kind of in. So I don't know how this would work in a corny, but for example, there uh, there are a number of different sort of fermenters on the market. Like I, I can think of the the brew keg is coming to mind. Um, where they have these little injectors and you take, I, I, be, I went through a phase of using this, um, the, the Williams Warren clarifier. So I'm a vegetarian, so I don't use, um, and I just lost like 472 listeners, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, that yeah thanks. Um, but, uh, so I don't use the typical findings that are gelatin based. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not so stuck in my ways that I won't drink a beer with it, but I just don't use them. And so I, I was researching vegetarian clarifying agents and came across the Williams Warren one, which I think is just called clarifying agent. And I used it a few times, worked really well, but those beers that I used it in oxidized really quickly. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, other errors that I made or maybe just the bottling process, um, but, or, or maybe the, the agent, but it concerned me enough to back off of it and I don't use it anymore. Um, but I wasn't using it with one of their brew kegs and they do have a system for injecting the clarifier. You know, they, they've obviously thought about the potential of oxidation or, or adi- uh, adding oxygen into the beer th- with this, uh, or, or with that process of adding the clarifier. Although I don't know that the clarifier itself has water per se one might have one might assume that they've thought about the potential oxygen and whatever that solution is it, you know it's not oxygen rich but i don't know the chemistry there anyway they've got some way to shoot it into their their brew kegs without actually opening it up and adding a bunch of oxygen and i wonder if you could do this with a corny by just um kind of kind of taking um what would you have to create? Just some kind of a you take a you, you you purge your keg, it's pretty much full. You take some kind of a keg connector, and and uh, maybe a line coming off of it with a uh, not an adapter, but yeah, some kind of a, I guess an adapter that goes to a wider line. So you could just kind of pour some clarifying agent in through the keg connector. Would that work? I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe that's dumb. Um, I think you can do that with, with the, both the conical and the and the keg like that. Yeah, like true, say, true, true. Little applications you can do it, and and that would be a good way of doing it. Purge your little thing that you're going to add it to, um, and then and then chuck the stuff in, and then and then push it through with CO two. 
Um, well, do yeah, I mean, do, it's certainly not going to going to have that much of an effect. Like, it's a very small amount that you're adding. It's not going to be ridiculous, but um, I, it certainly to me, it doesn't matter what you add it in. Um, I try to avoid adding anything, you know, if I can help it. Right. Um, opening up the opening up or, or just adding you know, doing anything with the beer if if I'm really really trying to avoid oxygen, but um, that that's just my take. Another thing I keep thinking about, and I know this is. You know, this is probably not the solution that most people are looking for. But if you're really concerned about it, but you you keg your beer, um, so let's say you 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 just you make lagers, you want a really clear beer, and I get that. Um, but you're concerned about O2, and you want a beer that's going to last for eight months or something. Um, you go and you keg that beer, you add your clarifying agent, or, or maybe I would actually add it in the fermenter. Then I'd rack my beer and I'd, I'd put it in the keg um, and I'd add it in the fermenter because I, I guess I want less of it coming into the, the fermenter. Um, and, I mean, sorry, less of it coming into the keg. Then if you really were concerned about it, you can basically keg condition. So like bottle conditioning, you just work out the, you know, using any kind of bottle condition calculator, uh, bottle conditioning calculator. And you just, so you do the exact same process as um, a bottle conditioning, but you do it in your 19 liter corny keg. And it takes you three weeks or so to carbonate that um uh, that keg and you get all this tube at the bottom, but then you attach your, uh, once it's all done and carbonated, then you attach your, uh, CO2 in and the first pull is, you know, sediment and you got a nicely carbonated keg and that natural, um, fermentation or that secondary, secondary fermentation in, in the keg is, is hopefully, um, scavenged all that, uh, scavenged all that, uh, O2 and you got a beer that's going to last a really long time. What do you reckon there? That's just something in my head. I don't, yeah, I don't know about the science. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds okay. I mean, fresh yeast is the best at scavenging O2, but um, I think if it's a lager or something, then O2 doesn't really affect it all that much. And if, if a homebrew lager lasts you eight months, then you're doing extremely well. <laughs> but um, I think it's more to do with hoppy beers that you really want to try to avoid sure, oxidation. Sure, sure. And I'm also going to just mention that if you're adding gelatin to a hoppy beer, then it is going to drop some of your, it's going to pull some um, aroma and flavor out of your hoppy beer as well. So it's, I mean, just, just learn to love hazy beers, I say. Right. Yeah. I kind of, I've kind of come around on that and, uh, and, and I agree. Um, I think that's us, bro. Mm, sounds good, man. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for another show, John. You got another um, quality recipe from a, uh, you know, a New Zealand brewer, especially a high-profile one like that, it's, and a, you know, it's one of his solid recipes too. So that's that's really cool. I'm stoked. I did not think that it would go like this. Like I think you suggested it in the first episode, and this was not the plan to do this whole clone recipe thing um, uh, from the get-go. It was just we we're going to do these interviews, and I think you suggested it on the show and and i was like ah yeah i don't know people have done that i was thinking about you know the brewing network in the states with like the um uh, can you brew it and things like that but uh then we did it and it's been wildly popular and um uh, you know thank god for that and and what i thought going into it is that everybody would give me their their weird specialty beers which you know there's nothing wrong with that i can certainly appreciate that i'd probably do that but instead everybody's coming out 
swinging with some of their more most popular beers. You know, they uh, Behemoth has given us and see how I said it right there, but Behemoth has given us their uh, their their Chur New Zealand Pale Ale, their most popular beer. Um, McLeod's gave us their uh, trophy winning uh, international lager, which, by the way, I needed to point out that I completely misspoke in that interview and said the only. Uh, uh, gold medal, gold medal winning logger in New Zealand. Not true. Only gold medal winning international logger in New Zealand. Sorry about that. To all the other logger producers that also won gold medals. Um, but uh, you know they gave us that recipe, and uh, people have not been bashful, and it's been really cool. And we're, you know, we're only a couple of months in to this podcast. Fast forward six months, and we're gonna have, uh, you know dare I say, a couple of years, we're going to have a pretty cool collection of recipes for New Zealand uh, New Zealand homebrewers. And pretty quickly here, I'm kind of waiting till about episode number 10. I'm going to put together a little PDF with all of these recipes, little little homebrew recipe, or, or I should say New Zealand clone brew recipe book and, uh, and send that out to everyone who's on the mailing list. So if you're not on that mailing list, head on over to newzealandbrewer.co.nz and sign up uh, on the mailing list and you'll get an email as soon as that is put together, which hopefully we'll get together by about Christmas, which is not not too far away. Um, so coming up in the next episode will be Annika from uh, Tiamana. I'm excited to chat with her because uh, I dig their beers. Um, she's doing some really good stuff. And uh, then hopefully, I haven't even spoken to you about this, Gary, but we'll come up with some kind of a little Christmas episode because, as I mentioned, I'm a Christmas nerd. And I might have to... I'm, I'm, <laughs> You're that guy. I'm that guy. You're that guy. Total, that annoying Christmas totally relative. Totally that guy. Um. <laughs> and I'm gonna get Gary a matching sweater, and we're gonna we're gonna pose for oh, we're gonna pose for pictures. I can see it, now. dude. That's funny. You and me with like a red that's sweater and a white snowflake matching. Good lord! I know it doesn't You're really work. I'm still talking. Yeah. Okay. Um, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Good night, John. Uh, all right. Th- well thanks, Gary. Thanks to Andrew uh, from Behemoth for being on the show and sharing that recipe. Thanks to you guys for listening once more. Head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, uh, Gary, I'll let you take us out tonight. Kaki tip. What? Just some Maldives. Just don't be racial, bro. Yeah. I'm you okay now, John? You got that out? Uh, I think so.